friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so excited that you're here with us today. Every week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and basically everything in between. Guys, before we start, I have to ask, how many t-shirts have let you down this year? It seems like I go through a new one each month. So let me tell you about this pocket tee I just got. It's incredibly soft. It has that lived-in kind of feel that you just love, and it fits just right. It's relaxed and comfy. Guys, it's by Z Supply, a casual lifestyle brand, which has been seen on Jessica Alba, Charlize Theron, and J-Lo, and Jamie Ivey. I highly recommend checking out their site. You can thank me later, I promise. It's Z, as in the letter Z, for zebra, supplyclothing.com slash Jamie. And use the promo code Jamie for free shipping. Once again, it's zsupplyclothing.com slash Jamie. Use that promo code Jamie. Okay, guys, you are listening to episode number 160. And my guest for this show is Oshita Moore. Oshita lives in LA with her hubby and her three kids. And I met Oshita a few years ago through the internet because isn't that how you meet most people these days? Oshita invited me to be on her podcast last summer and I'll put a link in the show notes for you to listen to that show where we talked a lot about my time that I get to spend each week with the ladies at the county jail. Her podcast is called Shalom Sisters. And in fact, she has a book titled the same, releasing next Tuesday. On today's show, Oshita and I talk about when Hurricane Katrina came through New Orleans and how that shifted their entire lives when they had to evacuate. We also get into a funny but serious conversation about strangers asking us questions about our families because we both have families that you might say stand out. Both of us agree that we used to get angry over stupid comments, but now we feel differently. Thank goodness. It's an opportunity to educate people and not be upset and help them know how to talk about someone's birth parents or an interracial family. I even shared with Oshita the comment that used to drive me crazy about 10 years ago. Oshita and I have a serious conversation about raising our black and biracial kids in a mostly white area. We joke about it and not in a disrespectful way, but in a way that we both get because we both live it. Halfway through, my favorite thing that happened today was Oshita opens up about her own journey with being a black woman. I was very thankful for her honesty and willingness to be vulnerable with us all, and I think that it's going to benefit all of us that are listening. Of course, as all good girl chats do, we talk about body image and sex. And Oshita and I end this conversation today with her talking about peace and what that means to her. As you guys know, I am a fan of Instagram. So if you want to share anything about the show, find me over there. I'm at Jamie Ivy. All right, ladies and men, because there are a few men that listen to the happy hour. I know you're out there. All right, guys, here is my conversation with Oshita. Hey, Oshita, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, Jamie, thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you on the happy hour all the way from L.A. Yes. (laughs) Okay, tell everyone just a little bit about your family before we get going. Yeah, okay, so I am married to my husband, T.C. We've been together for 16 years, but we're going on 14 years of marriage this February. We've been together for a minute. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) then I have three kids. I have a teenager, Tyson, who is 14. I have a daughter, Trinity, who is 10. And then I have TJ, my middle boy, who's 11. And TJ, so this is why I always get confused about those two, is they're 11 months apart. So like, they're Irish twins. So they're, they're, so like, actually, Trinity's due date was going to be the day before TJ's first birthday, but she came two weeks early. So those two, <laughs> so, so those two, I always, I'm like, how old are they? Like, whatever. They're, they're, they're close. Well, because you probably have blocked out that first like two years of both of their lives. It was traumatic. Traumatic. Yeah. And yeah. you birthed both of them. I did. Okay. Yeah. Cause I have some friends who have kids that are within a year. They're biological, but they adopted yeah. them. And it was right after we moved to Boston after, after we evacuated. So like I had TJ right after we moved to Boston. And then a year later I had another baby. <laughs> I had Trinity and it was so funny, Jamie. One time I was in the store and I was really pregnant with Trinity. I had TJ in the little, you know, the little seat and I had Tyson in the main part of the cart. And this old, like, South woman with, like, the thickest, Southie, like, strongest accent. When you think of Boston, like, that was her accent. She said, my family, we have 11 kids, and you just, what you want to do is just treat those two close to each other like twins. Like, they're going to have the same birthday party. They're going to, like, wear the same clothes. Like, just treat them like twins. And I was like, um, this is a girl. She's like, it's still fine. Like, save money. Just do it. (laughs) Just treat them like twins. And, I mean, it was kind of, like, it was helpful in the sense that, like I took, it relieved a lot of pressure for like, oh, is this child supposed to be potty training? Do they, do I do it together? Like it just relieved a lot of pressure. Like I've just like, I'm in the same season with both of them, but it was like, I'm not going to put 
like this little like you know sailor outfit on my daughter oh, that, it, was right. really, it was really funny people like feel the freedom to give you all kind of advice when they see you at little babies or they see oh, yes. you pregnant out in public so yes i have a friend mary who her and her husband adopted through the foster care system first mm-hmm. and she was pregnant so they had a newborn baby boy and she was i believe seven months pregnant Wow. So now she oh, has gosh. her two kids who are three or four months apart. <laughs> oh. It's crazy. So she totally ta- treated them like twins. Like they were oh, the totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you she said the good thing guys. is, is that her son who they adopted um, is kind of bigger for his age and her daughter mm-hmm. is kind of petite. And so they, it, it helps with people not asking so many questions. Oh, like, are they twins? Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. My um, two twins get that all the time. Are oh, they I'm twins? Sure. And now they're like, yeah, we're twins. Yeah, we're twins. I mean, we don't even want to talk about it. They yes. don't want to explain it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so you just said something pretty interesting that I want to talk about for a second because... Okay. If you're listening and you haven't lived under a rock, you probably remember just a month ago what happened in the South Texas area with Hurricane yeah. Harvey. Oh and God. so we're in the middle of just like grieving with our friends there and doing all we can here to help with that. And you and your husband actually evacuated from Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when that happened. And so take me back there. So for okay. all of us that are listening and wondering, what is it actually really like? to go through this, lose everything, and relocate. Wow. Okay, so neither one of us is from Katrina. My husband and I moved there because we wanted to do, like, incarnational ministry. So basically, like, move into a neighborhood and revitalize it from within. And so we were living in this neighborhood called Holly Grove in New Orleans. And so the day that we had the big conversation about whether or not we were going to evacuate, like the day before, it was two days before Katrina hit, which is funny because Katrina hit New Orleans August 29th, 2005. And Harvey made landfall in Houston on August 29th, 2017. Crazy. It's so crazy. And so, so like the two days before the storm, my husband was at the community center that he worked at and he was like, I I can't remember. He was doing something like helping out in the neighborhood and he texts me or, well, no, was it text? I can't remember if we were doing. You're like, did we like, have text then? Thing. <laughs> so he he. I think he called me. I, oh yes, he did because I was doing laundry. I was folding laundry, dreaming. It was like the like the like most normal day ever. Ever calm before the storm. Total calm before the storm. Uh-huh. I was folding laundry, and so he calls me. He's like, "Hey, there's supposed to be this hurricane that's, that's coming through." what do you want to do? Which sounds like a totally weird and odd question. Like, why would you, if a hurricane's coming, you get quick out of Dodge. But we had evacuated the year before for hurricane, which if you could see me, I'm doing quotation marks, hurricane, Mm -hmm. Ivan. And it wasn't like, it was not a big deal at all. It just didn't cause very much damage. And I'm from South Texas. I'm from Texas city, which is about 45 minutes South of Houston. So I'm really comfortable with hurricanes. So we had, after we evacuated and spent a lot of money, because it costs a lot. I've been reading a lot of people saying, saying, well, why didn't people evacuate out of Houston? It it costs a lot of money to evacuate because you have to be prepared to stay in a hotel indefinitely. So you have Mm -hmm. to have those resources at your disposal. You have to be prepared to like eat out for Mm -hmm. several weeks because you just, you don't, you don't know because you can't control it, right? So we evacuated and thankfully we evacuated my parents' house a year before, so Fast forward to the to next summer when I'm on the phone with my husband, he says, do you want to evacuate? And I said, well, I don't think so because we don't have the money and and all these things. And he said, but you're pregnant because I was eight months pregnant. Oh with- my gosh, yes. Okay? And he said, you're pregnant. And so if we don't have air conditioning, it's going to be really uncomfortable for you. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's true. So we called up my godparents in Texas and was like, hey, can we can we stay with you? And they said, sure. And at that point, I think it was like at a category one or two, like it wasn't as scary as it became within the next 24 hours. And then we get the mandatory evacuation. So we decided to go voluntarily, but then the mandatory evacuation was announced. And at that point we were like, oh, we have to go now. Mm-hmm. So we called up our good friends. Um, Cause we, we were checking with all of our friends to see like what they were doing. And we had two friends 
who were going to stay because they had lived in the area all their lives. And they were like, we've gone through Hurricane Betsy. And like, they just went uh-huh. down. The They're like, we just don't leave. Like y'all are, y'all are lightweights. And so we said, but it, it's a mandatory, like you have to get out of the city. And they lived like after the storm and we were looking at all of the areas that received the most damage in New Orleans, there was a restaurant like catty corner from their house that had water past its roof. Oh my gosh. I know. So we were like, you guys. So we picked them up that morning and we didn't know they had, <laughs> we didn't know they had a fancy rat. Do you know what that is? A like what? A, a fancy rat. Do you know what those are? Are you saying R-A-T? Yeah, rat, like a fancy rat. And please don't tell me that you're about to tell me that this is a pet. <laughs> it's their pet. Oh <laughs> my not, gosh. I did not know what a fancy rat was because we had never gone to their house, right? And so they come out with like this cage with like a fancy rat and the rat, it like the tail was longer than its body, Jamie. Okay, wait, time out. Why is it called a fancy rat? Are they trying to I, make people like a rat? I guess the tail makes it fancy. I don't know. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't understand why you would have a rat for a pet. Listen, I don't understand why people have guinea pigs for pets. Like those should not be, like I should not be. I can get behind that a little bit more than I can a rat. (laughs) So I get, I mean, they pull, they like, they come out and they're carrying this rat. And, but we had our Does the rat have a name? I need to know this. was Gato. Spanish okay, Gato. <laughs> Gato the rat. And you have a cat? And we have a cat, Tiger, the cat. This is disaster. <laughs> so we like evacuate with like a cat and a rat in a minivan, like on this 20 hour trek. It took us 20 hours. It normally takes us seven hours oh, to get from my, my gosh. Family. Yeah, it was like a parking lot. So That's another reason why they talked about not evacuating Houston is because yeah. la- last time they did that, people were stranded on the highways and yeah. people died trying to get out before the storm even hit. I know. And, and gas was a big deal because yes. we, like literally we were praying like, Jesus, help us find a gas station that had gas. And when I told my mom about it, she was like, oh yeah, like the gas wars from the seventies. Yeah, when there, mm. when there wasn't, when you couldn't find a gas station with gas. That's exactly how it felt. So we evacuate and we get to my parents' house and I honestly think we're going to be gone for a few days and then get back to New Orleans. And um, and then we find out a few days later from the um, from the director of the community center that we were working at. He uh, he was also the landlord of our apartment. Like he he bought the building where our apartment was. He said that they weren't even letting residents back into the city for weeks, possibly months. Mm. Like they were they weren't mm-hmm. sure when residents can come back in. And so we had to figure out really quickly what to do next. And so, yeah, we, we evacuated New Orleans because of Hurricane Katrina. I had to start our life all over in Boston where my husband mm. went to seminary. It's so crazy because, I mean, this is like reality right now that I'm thinking about with people that lose everything. And a lot of people don't have flood insurance because, I mean, I think they're saying that Hurricane Harvey is like a thousand year flood. I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. Some people's houses who are completely demolished. I know. Oh, it is just, it's so crazy. But yeah. Hurricane Katrina kind of is what put you guys out of New Orleans. And then you went to Boston and then you went to LA. And so mm-hmm. how many, yeah. what did you say? 2005? 2005 was when we left New Orleans and we went to Boston. <clears throat> we were in Boston for nine years. Wow. 2005 is the year two of my boys were born. So now I can remember really? when Katrina was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. May which, and November. Which boys? Amos and Deacon. Oh, wait. They're wow. six months apart, which is crazy, but I didn't birth <laughs> I either like, one of them, obviously. So you know. Oh my gosh. So you had the whole season of, of crazy too. Yeah. I mean, Amos came home at four and a half. So at four and a half, when he came home, I had a four-year-old and a four and a half-year-old all of a sudden overnight. Wow, Jamie. Yeah. And it's funny because sometimes, <laughs> I, I'm not being mean at all. It, it, what can you do but laugh? But sometimes when I tell people they're the same age, my boys will be standing right in front of me. And uh-huh. you've seen what my boys look like. Yeah, and yeah. They'll be standing right there and they'll say, oh, are they twins? And I think to myself, I mean, I guess they could be like. I've seen it like on BuzzFeed. We've seen it right on BuzzFeed. (laughs) But I'm like, one is a lot darker than the other, but whatever. You know, it's just, it doesn't bother me one bit and I don't make them feel stupid at all. Um, It just makes me giggle on the inside. Yeah. Um, no, all these babies. I mean, it's, it's so cute. Like I've learned because people, because we're an interracial family, right? And so people ask so many questions. Like they ask questions that I don't, that I'm like, um, did you think? <laughs> you said okay. So what's something that's happened to you recently where you think to yourself, are you serious? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, okay. So the thing that I, I get all the time, because my kids have very 
distinct eyes. So my middle boy has blue eyes and my oldest boy has hazel eyes that look gray often. And then my daughter has brown eyes. And I have literally, and my daughter is a little bit darker than my two boys. I have literally had somebody ask me, oh, do the boys have different dads than Mm. your daughter? Mm. Because my boy, I mean, they all look, bi- I mean, to me, I look at my kids and I'm like, they look biracial, all of them. Right. And they, like biracial is such a nebulous kind of look because mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen the whole spectrum of biracial kids. Right. Right. So it's funny because they'll look at my kids' boys and automatically assume, oh, like their dad must be black with blue eyes or a white guy with blue eyes because, you know, they can tell. But then they look at my daughter and they're like, oh, well, maybe like she has a different dad. <laughs> no. Has no. anyone ever said that in front of your kids? Um, no, no, they have, no. Well, I mean, let me think. That happened to me once. Oh man, you know, like I am, I used to get so angry when people would ask me just dumb things in public about like my family or my kids. And then I've really tried very hard to kind of put myself in their shoes, like tell a better story about them. Like Mm -hmm. they're just curious and they have no entry point. And maybe they don't have any home training either, but they don't have an entry point and they just yeah. want to know how to act, like how to start a conversation with me. And so I, I used to get so curt and be like, no, or, you know, like ignore them. Mm-hmm. But now I try to engage them and sort of like steer the conversation to something a little bit more helpful so that maybe the next time when they encounter a family like yours or mine, like they have a little bit more like sensitivity and thoughtfulness in the way they approach starting a conversation. It's so I mean, true. We have interesting families. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it makes total sense. People want to know because that's Mm -hmm. not their experience. And so I want to be open to like invite them into the conversation. I just don't want my kids to feel like you said shame or like they're they're being looked in upon. or What's wrong with us? Exactly. You know, there's Mm -hmm. there's enough. Raising kids is hard enough. I don't want to add that to them. Right. And I think you can tell too. I've had this conversation with several of my friends you can tell when someone is sincerely curious or when they are sincerely trying to shame or talk down to you. Yeah. And I like, you know, you talked about this, just trying to find the good in that person. But I think we have a really good opportunity to educate. You know, like you Mm -hmm. said, maybe the next time they won't say something so insensitive. Mm -hmm. I too, I used to get really offended with adoption comments. Really? Um, Yeah. And I don't anymore, usually at all. um, Because to me, it's just like, oh, they just don't know, you know? And because heaven forbid, there's been so many things I've said in my lifetime because I just didn't know, you know? And so just giving grace to that and educating yeah. and now they know. What's the adoption comment that irks you the most? Nothing, I wouldn't say anything irks me right in, in, anymore. I think I'm really confident in our family. I'm really confident in being my kid's mom, you know? And so I think at the beginning, this happened mostly in our very beginning of our adoption story, which would have been a domestic adoption. So my son was an infant when we adopted him. Mm-hmm. And the comment would be, do you know his real mom? Oh, And all they mean is, do you know his biological mom? Do you know his birth mom? That's what they mean. And at the time, we were new to adoption. I was new to this new baby. I was new in my relationship with parenting a child I didn't birth, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think I had to grow a lot in that. Mm -hmm. That comment, if you said that today, it wouldn't bother me one single bit because I'm very confident in my mothering of my children. But at the time, I would inside be like, I am his real mom. Like, I am the one that gets up with him every night. Now, his birth mom, his biological mom, and we value her and love her and have open relationship. Yes, I know her too, you know? And so now I would just be like, oh, we totally love um, all of our kids' biological moms. We know that. Like, I would just go into like educating. And just, I think when you educate too, you give new words. Like, you give new vocabulary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the most important thing is like words have power. So I really love to sort of reframe the conversation like, okay, well, say this, Mm -hmm. not that. Say biological Mm -hmm. mom, not real mom. Because implications of real mom is really hurtful, especially Uh for like for a first time adopting mom. Yeah. yeah. And in front of my children, you know, when they were little, it's like, oh, they don't hear it. But now that they're older, but you know what I've noticed? People don't say those things in front of my kids as much now that they're older. I think the adult also realizes, oh, there's little ears listening here. Maybe we should ask these conversations in private. Okay, so your family, like you said, looks different like my family because your husband is white and you're black and you have lived as a married as married to your husband, TC, in New Orleans, Boston, and LA, and I guess that short stint in Texas City. But yeah. <laughs> where of those places have you guys felt the most at ease with your family? Hmm, Boston. 
Boston. Okay. Sure. Um, I think part of it has to do with the neighborhoods that you live in. So I think my husband and I really love urban ministry, caring for the urban core. And so I think a lot of times when we talk about like a city, we forget that a city is made up of neighborhoods. And so Mm -hmm. there's some neighborhoods where like it's mostly Latino or some neighborhoods it's mostly Vietnamese. Like, so neighborhoods kind of have their own personality. Mm -hmm. And so the neighborhood that we live in now um, it's a suburb outside of LA. My, my daughter is like one, my son and daughter, are like one of four black kids mm-hmm. at their school. And I think the other, like, so it's those two. And then there's a biracial kid and a black kid. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's been a little bit, I wouldn't say harder, but more noticeable how different our family is. But in Boston, we lived in a really diverse neighborhood. Like there was like, there was a Haitian, like a Haitian woman who was like a grandmother to my daughter, like catty corner from our home and like across the way was there was like a white family next door and so my kids got to see both parts of their family I'm not Haitian but like they they got to see like both of their family represented in their neighborhood and so I think it was just easier for us to be like out in the courtyard playing and seeing diversity right Mm -hmm. so yeah so Boston has been one of the easiest cities for us to kind of just integrate into yeah I would say I I have a similar answer to yours we moved out to where we live now about a year and a half ago and before Uh that we lived in Austin Mm -hmm. in an underdeveloped under-resourced neighborhood yeah and where my husband Aaron and my oldest son Caden we were the minorities wow Um, and we lived there for five years and loved it. And we grew our family there and we just, it was, it was so wonderful. And we moved because we just kind of outgrew our space. And I know people all around the world live in very small spaces with some of the stuff we had going on with our family and trauma and adoption and stuff. We just needed a little space for kids to breathe. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. And so, but what we did is we moved out here to get that space to breathe for our family to thrive. And our family has thrived mm. in our new environment so and our good. home. But, Oshita, what we knew was happening is we were stepping into a less diverse school environment. And so that was something that was kind of weighted heavy on Aaron and I. And it's been hard, you know, and we had to kind of say, do we value our family thriving in this season or our family still kind of struggling, limping along, but our kids being around um, kids that look like them at school? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, everyone has to make their own decision. We really needed our family to start thriving But we had this conversation just the other night at dinner. We're like, hey, guys, are there any kids at school that look like y'all? And my kids are so funny. They're like, there's this one girl. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, and I look at each other like, oh my gosh, it's worse than we thought. And so whenever we see people, not just black people, but people of color, we are like really like we want to meet them and go up to introduce ourselves um, for ourselves as well, but also for our kids to like help foster those relationships um, because we know at the end of the day, it's really important to them. Oh my gosh, Jamie. So <laughs> I totally relate to what you were just saying because the first day of school, I'm, I'm so embarrassed to tell the story. So the first day of school, I dropped, I was dropping my kids off and I saw one of the new black families uh-huh. pull in, befr- in front of us. And I was like, guys, who is that family? <laughs> they were like, we don't know. I was like, your job, like, don't, I don't care if you know your teacher's name. You find you out, find that, out family. that family. <laughs> yeah. And then the same thing happened with my son. They're like a new kid moved into our apartment complex, a black kid. And he was walking up to his apartment. I said to my son, I was like, does he go to your school? Do you see him? <laughs> Invite him to sit with you for lunch. <laughs> my mom's like, and my son's like, mom, like, I'm not going to make friends because he's black. I was like, just do it. I know we're the same way, but we have, I think one thing that you guys probably do and mm-hmm. we do is to have healthy conversations at home about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was um, listening to a podcast the other day. It's called The Nod. It's a new podcast from Gimlet. Um, I mean, it's a good one, but there's some language. But the there is an episode about whether or not you should put your kid into an Afrocentric school, which is mm-hmm. basically like a, a school, yeah, Afrocentric, like a black, yeah. teaches black history and all that. And kind of like at the, at the end, I'm, I'm not going to give it away, but like the takeaway for me was that it's as much my responsibility, maybe even more to be creating a home that celebrates their African-American identity. That is like a safe space for us to talk about things that they are worried about or they're, they're concerned about, or they want to know about as it pertains to their race. It's up to me to like do that work here the same mm. way that like it's up to me to make sure my kids know how to do algebra or can spell the word protest or whatever mm-hmm. like it's my job to make sure that my kids own that and I think as the black parent in this family I feel like the pressure a little bit more because I have mm. to represent yeah. you know 
but I feel energized and feel very confident and good that I can do that this year. I think in the past, like if you'd asked me two years ago, if I would feel confident to teach my daughter about black girl magic and my boys to love their African-American identity, like if you'd asked me that two years ago, I'd be like, no, I'm not the person for that. Like I need to find somebody to outsource that to. Why is that? Because I, because I came from a predominantly white neighborhood uh-huh. my home life, my dad really didn't celebrate that part of us. It was, it was always the conversations we had at home around being black. It was always like a liability. So it was like, pull your pants up or like just the way that my dad talked about being black mm-hmm. made me feel like it's something that I have to deal with. And it's not something that I can celebrate or I can own or that I can mm-hmm. love. And so conversations about African-American history, like was Dr. Martin Luther King and it, that was kind of it, right? And so I didn't really have, I didn't have a framework, Jamie. Like I didn't have like somebody to tell me like, or show me like, this is how you, this is how you own your hair. Like this is how you love right. a headscarf and feel like even sexy and confident going to bed with a headscarf. Like black women do that. But like for the longest, for the first part of my marriage, I would not wear, like wrap my hair up because I didn't want to look unpretty when I went to bed. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So what changed? Um, you know, I started to have really good conversations and build in relationships with black women who I respected and trusted Mm -hmm. and learning from them sort of what they love about being black and how they express their identity. And it really helped me in the same way that like when you have a great mentor in the faith and you kind of like pick up like the way that she reads the Bible or the way that Mm -hmm. she worships, or you like really respect how intentional she is with her kids or whatever. Like I really picked that up with the black women who I let into my life to be my friend. Because the other part of it is, it's kind of like when you always hear this narrative that women always bicker with each other. We're always at each other. We're always like leaning into scarcity. Like, you know, that narrative Mm -hmm. that we have about each other women. Like, I mm-hmm. had that narrative about like black women, like black, mm. but not that they're always catty, but like they're not necessarily safe or I don't, or I don't fit in. The other thing too, was like going to the hairdresser was always scary for me, Jamie, because I always felt like, I always felt like I didn't fit in when I went there. And so. Because why? Because I, because of, I, well, okay. So the way I talk, that was always a thing that I heard from the black girls in high school. Because they would say what? Well, because I talk white, or they they would say that, and my they would say that, yeah. And my maiden name is Whitney, so my high school name is Oshita Whitney. Not to be like turn this into like a therapy session, but like Uh you know, high school jacks you up. Yeah, (laughs) and high school can be mean and hard. Yes, yes. And so I think that I carried a lot of those things that you hear. You know, I think I think all women do this. Like we hear something in our teenage years, and it sticks. It becomes our identity, yes. Our identity, and then it becomes a hindrance from us having authentic, real life-giving community. So you felt as though I don't fit in with the white women and I don't fit in with the black women. Where do I fit? Exactly. So do you ask me two years ago to kind of shepherd or care for these two little kids who are honestly in the middle of both, Mm -hmm. you know? I'd have been like, I don't know. Somebody come teach all of us. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what? I think I really like am so just honor the the honesty and vulnerability that you're bringing here because I think it is really helpful for us to even go, okay, like Oshita doesn't even, she didn't have it down two years ago. And look, she's still taking the time to press in and learn about things that matter. Yeah. And it's encouraging for us that are listening to say, okay, I, it's, I'm not too late, you know, and yeah. I don't have to rely on someone else to do this. I can do it. You know, I think about that for my kids because yeah. I have two white parents, you know, and where do they feel like they're going to fit in as well? And it's encouraging for me to hear you say this, just so you know. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, so I think we have a mutual friend, Amina Owen Brown. Mm, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so one of like the big moments for me in this story was Amina and I were at a conference together um, and we were like sitting across from each other and we just started like we were talking and then she said something like, well, you know how you own your you know, like, you know how you do girl, like, you know, you know, how you'd be a black girl or something like that. Or like, or no, she said like, own it, just own it. Yeah. Like own your, your black identity. Cause I was kind of start sharing a little bit of this with her because I had written something that around race that like a lot of people were sharing. And so I was telling Amina, like, I don't know how to handle the like conversations that are coming out of this. Mm-hmm. Oops. And she said, well, just own it. Like you, you're a black woman, just own it. And I burst into tears oh. and, she, and I was like, I don't know how to own it. Mm. <laughs> and so that was for me, God's grace and like showing me, yeah, this is an area that I want to work on with you and mm-hmm. we can do this together and you're going to be okay. And here I am, 
you know, a few years out from it. And I feel like I can talk to my kids about yeah. their face, even though we live in a community mm-hmm. that doesn't have a lot of people that look like that. Yeah. And what a safe place Amina was for you. Yes. You know, I mean, that could have gone south, you know, yes. <laughs> um, because I mean, it's very important, especially for it to be any kind of different race in America to be like proud of that and own that. And I, I love it so much. And I could see how someone could have like just slammed you for that. Yeah. And so what a safe place Amina was. I adore her. Yeah. I, I When I think of her, I think of her like, so it, I have this like phrase in my mind when like my life feels like messed up or like there's an area that I'm really struggling with. Like one person or one thing that's kind of keeping my head above the water, I call it my plank of grace. Mm-hmm. And when I think of Amina, I think of her as like my plank of grace. Like I was able to just like, like sit there and like catch my breath and figure out like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can do it. I love that so much. I love it. You know, I had a guest on my show recently. Her name's Latoria mm-hmm. and she's a rapper and she's a black woman. And she had sent me some of her music and I gave it to my daughter as soon as I got here. And uh-huh. Story listens to it all the time. And can oh, I tell you, it makes me so happy because yeah. we talk about Latoria and you know what? Story's never met her. But we were talking the other day and I was asking her if she wanted to play basketball this fall or something. Mm-hmm. You know, she's in third grade and mm-hmm. she was like, no. And I was like, well, I think we should do something, you know? And I was like, hey, you know what? Latoria played basketball in high school and college. And all of a sudden she was like, oh, I want to. <laughs> and it's so beautiful for me because she's yeah. never met her, but she knows that she's a friend of mine and she listens to her music. And she's a strong black woman who yeah. loves Jesus fiercely. Yeah. Like yeah. I will put her up on as a role model to my daughter any day, you know? Awesome. And so- I, I love that too, that it just like the community, like I can say, look at these beautiful women um, who look like you and love Jesus and they're proud and they're kind and they're loving and all these things, because I can give her most of those things as a role model, but I can't ever give her the black woman part. Right. Oh, you're such a good mama, Jamie. I oh, love I, that I mean, so much. I, I mean, I just try because it's hard. Like you said, parenting's yeah. hard. Yeah, it's gracious. So, yeah, it's hard enough. So anyway, yeah. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Okay, guys, I know that you're loving this show with Ashita and I, but I want to take a few seconds to thank our sponsors because our sponsors make the happy hour possible. Guys, if the viral personality quiz is strewn about our social media accounts or any indication, we are collectively obsessed with the idea of defining and knowing ourselves and our unique places in the world. But the social media quizzes don't always offer enough insight. For a more comprehensive take, check out the new book, Reading People by Ann Bogle. Reading People explains what makes you uniquely you, what makes the people in your life uniquely them, and why that all matters. And popular blogger Ann Vogel makes it easy by collecting, exploring, and explaining the most popular personality frameworks such as the Meyer-Briggs Type Indicator, Strengths Finders, Enneagram, and much more. 
Guys, not to mention, she also shares the life-changing insights that can be gained from each, as well as the practical applications across all facets of life, including love and marriage, productivity, parenting, the workplace, and spirituality. So do you want to revolutionize the way you live, love, work, and pray? Understanding personality is the first step. Find out more at readingpeoplebook.com. That's readingpeoplebook.com. And I myself met Ann Bogle this weekend in the airport in Louisville, and she is just as lovely in person as she is in her writing. Guys, I also want to thank RX Bar. If you're a parent out there, you expect the same high quality, clean label nutrition for your kids as you do for yourselves, right? I do. But all too often, we have to compromise when it comes to snacks. Thankfully, though, there's RX Bar Kids, a clean label snack bar made with high quality, real ingredients designed specifically for kids. With egg whites, fruit and nuts as the base, RX Bar contains seven grams of protein and have absolutely no added sugar, gluten, soy, dairy, or bad stuff. And with three flavors, including chocolate chip, apple cinnamon raisin, and berry blast, they are perfect for anytime kids want something tasty and filling, like breakfast on the go or as an after-school snack. You guys, I had some of these recently in my house, and I cannot tell you what they taste like. Can I tell you why? Because my kids devoured them. They love them, and we're heading out to get some more for them as well. But it makes this mama happy to know that I don't have to compromise nasty granola bars for my kids and get great ones for myself. I can now give them great ones as well. Guys, you can find them at Target stores, which is where we're going to get ours, or for 25% off your first order. Visit rxbar.com slash happy hour and enter the promo code happy hour at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash happy hour, promo code happy hour for 25% off your first order. Okay, guys, here is the rest of my conversation with Oshida. Okay, let's move on to something else that's hard, yeah. and that is marriage. <laughs> marriage can be tough. I love marriage. It's like just a dear thing to me, and I've grown so much in my marriage in the past 16 years. Um, yeah. What'd you say y'all were at? Almost 14? Almost 14 in marriage. We've been together okay, for yeah. 16. How long have you and Aaron been together? Oh my gosh. We went on our first date in December of 1999. Wow. 18, 18 years? years? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Crazy? 16 years of marriage. And I, I love marriage so much. And you do too. Yes. I love marriage. I love talking about marriage. Oh, like what I do you love about marriage? Um, I love the idea that somebody can make me better and stronger. Like I can, like we can, um, we can make each other better as we grow together. So like my faith has been challenged in really cool ways because of something my husband has read or something that my husband is processing. And so he'll say to me like, oh, I'm thinking about this or I'm feeling this way. And then I can like encourage him or like if I'm struggling in something and I tell him like he can encourage me from the word. And so I, I love that like walking together in our faith part of mm-hmm. marriage that it feels more intimate and special because we're we're also building a life together. We're, we're building a family together. So I can go deep and honest and authentic with my husband in ways that I can't with other people. Mm-hmm. And so I really hate when people, like I used to hate when people say like, oh, my husband's my best friend. Like it felt so trite. Cheesy, yeah, uh-huh. I know, right. But I actually feel like that because he's the person that knows everything about my faith journey. He has walked with me through some hard crisis of faith or just like, I'm trying to decide what my theology is about this and we'll mm-hmm. work it through together. And in a way that feels really, makes me feel really whole. And, and I really, I don't mean that like he was a whole person before I married him. I was a whole person before, but I think we were becoming better versions of ourselves together. Yeah. Yeah. What do you love okay. about there? Oh, go ahead. I love this is I have noticed this several times. It is always fun when I have a podcaster that I'm interviewing uh-huh. because they want to know answers from me as well. Exactly. <laughs> it's the like, best. It's the best. Not all of my guests do what you've done through the whole show. And I love it because it's way more conversational, which is fun. Like it's back and forth. Tell me about you. Tell me about you. Yeah. Um, but if people haven't realized this, you are a podcaster as well. Yeah. So you love knowing about people as well. I do. Um, I love marriage because for a lot of those reasons, I feel like I have just this kind of partner, you know, um, mm-hmm. I tell Aaron all the time. I mean, when he's traveling or out of town or just, he's been gone a lot this week. I'm like, I miss you in like the ways of like, oh, I miss you, like going to sleep next to you. Or I miss like hugging you or I miss talking to you. I also really miss like the partnership, you know, mm-hmm. that we have in our house and those kind of things. But I'm like you, no one knows the worst things about me like Aaron does. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still loves me the most. Yeah. And so that's, I think, was like the coolest thing about marriage. Um, you told me, and if you want to talk about this, we can. If not, uh-huh. we don't have to. You said you and your husband are, have been really honest with each other lately mm-hmm. about like sex and bodies. 
I want to know if you want to talk about that. If not, we will move on and it'll act like I never said it. But you wrote it down. And so I had to ask. Uh, Yes, I could totally talk about this. My husband's like in the room with me. (laughs) He's like, you said what? (laughs) No, I could totally talk about this. The biggest conversation that we've had around like body and, and sex, like the thing that I've been processing with him is that your bodies change as you get older. And so I, I'm feeling in, in my body, like I've gained some weight. Like I just, I wrote a book and like, it just self-care and taking care of my body and all that kind of like went out the window. I'm sure you, you like can relate to that. Yes. So I was just feeling, I'm just feeling super gross. So like one night I just had to be honest with my husband, like, you know, we're not, not together. Like we're not being intimate because I don't love you. It's just, I don't love my body. And I'm really mm. struggling with that. And, you know, like, cause he's an amazing husband. He was super kind and gracious. And he didn't do the thing that I think most, like you kind of like you expect a husband to do, or like some husbands do. He didn't do the thing like, well, you know, you're fine. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, I love you no matter what. Like he was like, yeah, I can, I can see why not in a shameful way, but like why you feel that way. And like, mm-hmm. I, like, it's like, I know, that you are sad about that. I still love you. And I still think you're beautiful. Like that's was his reaction. But he was like, I think what, what I loved about that conversation was that he didn't diminish or belittle my pain or like how I was feeling about myself Mm -hmm. or my perception of what was going on. He was actually like, yeah, I could see how you feel that I don't agree with you, but I can see how you feel that way. And if you Mm want to do something about it, I'm here to support you, but yeah, you know, you don't have to. And I think that that was, Cause we've had some really hard years in our marriage because we didn't have, ex- we didn't have examples at home of mm. what healthy marriage looks like. And so yeah. I felt like that conversation around body and in- intimacy was just a really good picture of how we learn to communicate with each other. Like he, he does a good job. He's, I mean, neither one of us is perfect, but we, he does a good job of saying like, I see why you feel that way. Like I can, you know, honor that and respect that. That right there diffuses any kind of like, oh no, he didn't. Like Uh (laughs) defensiveness that comes up. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, she had a body stuff. I mean, it is, I think one of the hardest things that women deal with by far. Yes. And then the older I get, I mean, I told Erin the other day, I was like, this is weird because I've been buying the same jeans in the same store from ever. And I think they've messed up their sizes because oh. I've been this size forever. And now I'm this one and they must be doing something wrong. All joking aside, but it's just, I eat for the most part, very healthy. But as you get older, things just don't work the way they used to do. And yeah. so I think that is a conversation that when I hear you talk about, I'm proud of you for just like saying it out loud. Like, yeah. okay, this is hard. Things are different. And you know what? circumstances play into that. You yeah. know, we had some really hard time with our kids a couple of years ago. And that's when I gained weight that I've never lost, mm. you know? And so mm-hmm. I love that you guys are having that conversation because that's hard. That's hard to have with your spouse. Oh my gosh. And you know, I feel like we do a really, really good job in the church of, of preparing people to talk about money, to talk about faith, to talk about lots of different things. But then I feel like the sex conversation in marriage, we don't get enough of like, after you have waited, you know, after your true love waited and y'all are mm-hmm. together, what do you do? Like, what are the conversations that you're going to have at that point, five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road when, yeah, your bodies are changing or you're mm-hmm. like, our kids are older. Like you have teenagers. TC and I are like, our kids are older. Like we have to wait till they're like good and sleep before. And that's like 1030 <laughs> at night. Exactly. I am tired. <laughs> so it's like, you know, cause now they, they know, like they, their ears, they, yes. you know, little ears. And so it's like, <sighs> how do you have a conversation about that? And so like, one of the things that we do is like, we work it like a weekend away. We work it mm-hmm. like we try to be really thoughtful, intentional, and and honest about these kind of conversations. I say it all the time. Nobody tells newlyweds that there will be a day when you look at your husband on like a Monday and say, do you think Thursday night we could have sex? Like (laughs) Thursday works for me. Does it work for you? Like... I know. Nobody tells newlyweds that. And that is truth, people. That it is happens. Such truth. And it totally and it doesn't mean anything. And that's the other thing too, is we're so romanticized that it means that we think like, oh, well, it means there's something wrong. Or like I'm not spicy enough. Or like I need to get a cosmo. Like people no, think it, no. it's not. That is life. Like if you that's schedule a, to get yep. a little change, then you need to schedule for, you know. <laughs> yes. It means you have four kids and they play sports. And they don't go to bed till 10.30 at night and you're tired. Yeah. And our oldest has 
and like we just started letting him watch Walking Dead, which oh, yes. nobody be I- mad at me, but <laughs> Aaron and I have seen it all. And so he just started the first season, which we did have to, fa- have you watched it? I have not because I'm okay. highly, I'm like a highly sensitive person. So like I can't, oh. like I can watch Game of Thrones only because my husband's like, like he knows like when the music starts and like the conversation gets really somber. He's like, ah, babe, cover your eyes. Yeah. You know, but well, I yeah. <laughs> he is our one that can handle it. Yeah. All my other ones, it will be, they'll be older for sure. But yeah. every kid's different. Every person's different. We're watching it with him, which is. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But anyhow, he thinks that this is a nightly ritual. Oh, that he's going to lay in bed with us. Yeah. <laughs> And watch The Walking Dead. And I looked at Aaron last night and I was like, we're not doing that three no. nights in a row. <laughs> he needs to no. go back to his bed. <laughs> and so, but the hard part, and I said, I've said this a thousand times, people have heard me say, it's so hard because he wants to be with us. Yes. That and I want to foster that too. That is tricky. But I wonder if you can say, you know, like, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays is Walking Dead. But Tuesday, Thursdays, like mom and dad want to watch something else. Or Oh yeah. <laughs> no. When we reach our limit, like we reached it this week, we will look at him and be like, we're done. Yeah. I, and Aaron, Aaron will say to him, I want to hang out with your mom. So oh, good night. I love the way, that, that's the perfect way to like. Oh yeah, he's like, yeah. no, I'm hanging out with your mom tonight. Sorry, you're not invited. <laughs> and, but he's cool with it. I mean. He's cool with it. Yes, yes, yes. You know so. what? Okay, so my 14 year old has been. So TC and I are really like affectionately hug. And, uh-huh. you know, and so he's been doing this thing where he's like grossed out, but not grossed out. And like, right. y'all are so gross. And we're like, and in my mind, I'm like, he's totally loving it. Like he's registering like, this is what a mom and dad do. Like, totally. This is yep. Yeah. We want our kids to know, hey, we love each other yes. a lot. Okay. You have mentioned it several times and you wrote a book yes. um, that actually comes out October 3rd. Yeah. Tell us what the book is about. Yeah. So the book starts with the evacuation, which is, ah. we, so it starts because like I said, my husband and I really love the city. We really love urban ministry. And so that was our life. And we kind of came to this calling separately. But for me, I heard a sermon about Jeremiah 29, seven, seek the peace of the city. I've called you to, and the pastor kept saying like, Jeremiah's talking about Shalom. Like he's talking about like God's dream for the city. Like the idea of like the city flourishing and being whole and being revitalized. And he was like, that's what God wants his people to be doing, like seeking Mm, the peace of their mm -hmm. cities, which I'm like, I'm from a little suburban town on the other side of the bridge from Galveston, surrounded by refineries. Like my hometown's called Texas City, but it's not really that, you know? Right. And so for me, I was like, it was an eye-opening sermon for me. And it made me think about, you know, what I could do if I I lived in a bigger city. I've always been a city girl at heart, so I knew that I was going to move out of there. Anyway, so I heard the sermon and that word shalom really stuck out to me because it's a way of thinking about peace that's a little bit richer and more intentional. And mm-hmm. But for me, it was always attached to working in the city or like when you think of a peacemaker, it was always attached to like this grand gesture of ending conflict, like, you know, throwing yourself over top of a grenade or, you know, being a human shield or mediating mm-hmm. between two differing parties or moving into a city. Like, so for me, it was always connected to these big things. But then when Katrina happened and we had to evacuate and I had to start my life over and I was solidly like in that new mom, like stay at home phase where Mm -hmm. I was not going to be moving into any cities. I was not going to be starting any ministries. Like I had children. You're just having babies. I just had babies. My babies were my ministry And, Uh and it didn't feel enough. And so I had to do a lot of soul searching. And after my husband, well, as my husband was in getting close to the end of seminary, he asked if we can stay in Boston. And we didn't really have like an entry point back into urban ministry. It was just, you know, we were just doing life. And I had to mm-hmm. ask myself, was I experiencing mission drift? Like, was I getting away from the thing God called me? Or is there something bigger? Like, is the idea of being a peacemaker bigger than like where you live or like is there a way that you can be a peacemaker in your everyday life? And so Mm. I studied peace in the Bible for 40 days. And I found that this idea of shalom applied to so many different areas of our life, other than like the missional part that I started calling myself a shalom sister because like I live my life every day as a person I am with the people that I love. And I try to be a peacemaker right where I am. And so the book Mm. is all about that realization. And then it covers like 12 different Kind of, I call them my Shalom system manifestos, like 12 different things that I tell myself or that I try to think about when I'm engaging with the world that helps me be a peacemaker. So that's mm. what Shalom system is all about. 
I love it. Okay, where can they, I'll put the link in my webpage, obviously, but where can they find all of this? So there's a website, Shalom Sisters, and it's sisters with an A, because that's kind of how it always comes out when I say it. And so I'm like, that's, you know, this is who I am. And I think we have a definition that a Shalom Sister is a person who loves Jesus, loves people, but never forgets her sass. So so that's a little bit, yeah, that's why it's called shalomsisters.com. And there's like a book trailer there and there's a place where you can pre-order the book and there's some pre-order goodies that are going to be released in the next, well, I think they're already up there. Okay, I need to remember that little tagline when I'm parenting my daughter because sometimes her sass makes me upset. And so I need to remember to teach her to love Jesus and love people. And then her sass can fall into line if those two things are happening. Oh my gosh, you know, I've been really aware of this with the sassy black girl in like Disney shows or like on, on TV, that's kind of like a thing that they see a lot. And But uh-huh. her sass is always kind of at somebody else's expense. And so, or their sass is almost kind of like disrespectful. And I, and so I try to tell my daughter, like there are ways that we can be sassy <laughs> in our life. Like we don't have to reject our personality or the things that make us a little bit edgier. Like we don't have to let go of that and it doesn't have to be, you know, demonized. So. Yes. Okay. I love it. I'm going to remember that as I parent my baby girl. Okay. Yes. What three things are you loving and what are you reading? Okay. So I, three things that I'm loving right now. Okay. I am loving Bulletproof Coffee. Have you heard mm. of this? I have, and I have, because you can make it yourself, right? Yes. yes. Okay, yes. I've Someone has made it for me before, and it is quite tasty, it's I will say. Very good. And I, I was first exposed to Bulletproof Coffee in July when my friend and I went on went to a morning rave, and the like coffee shop that was sponsoring it, they made Bulletproof Coffee. So Bulletproof Coffee is basically like brewed coffee, and then you add a tablespoon of grass-fed butter, and then you add some type of oils, like you can do coconut oil or like the oil that they gave us was like, you know, the specialized one that they were trying to give samples out of. So, and then you blend it together and then you drink it and it's supposed to help you like kick your metabolism into gear in the morning. It's supposed to help you stay more right. full, fuller and all that. But that's not why I love it. I mean, why but, do you love butter, it? butter makes everything better, but I don't love it just because of the butter. I love it because it has the froth at the top of it. And it gives me that kind of coffee shop experience where I don't mm. feel like I need to go to a coffee shop to have my morning coffee. Okay, Bulletproof Coffee. What else? Okay, okay. the next thing that I'm loving is I'm loving this podcast called Sporkful. It's a Stitcher Ooh. podcast um, and it's hosted by Dan Pashman. Mm-hmm. And their tagline is, it's a show about food, but not for foodies. Because Okay, I, what's it called? The Sporkful. So think of like a spork. Oh, sporkful. I already subscribed to the nod while you were talking about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, the sporkful. So you know, I got yeah. it. Um, and it's, it's, I love the cover too. It's like red with like- It's cute, the, uh-huh. The white spork on it. Okay, so I love it because I don't love to talk about food, but I love to listen to people talk mm. about food. So like Bread and Wine by Sean and Equest is one of my yes. favorite books because I love how much she loves food. Now, I'm not going to make risotto. That's not my- Right, because <laughs> that's hard, but just I'm, so you know. But I'm going to listen to Sean and make, talk about making her risotto. Um, right. <laughs> but I love this podcast because they kind of go deeper into like the stories behind why people eat what they eat or like um, the series that, that I love. So if somebody wants to start there is their most recent series called Not Your Mom's Food. And it's all about like race and culture and how that affects food. They talk about like the first episode is about adopted kids from other countries and how like uh-huh. their new families integrate their food into it. And there's this beautiful story about this little boy from Ethiopia who wouldn't eat anything his mom was making. So she ordered in Ethiopian food. And like the moment she opened the box, the kid's eyes lit up and they were so thrilled. It's because, and then they have a scientist come on later on that talks about how like food affects like when you eat a food as a pregnant woman, like it actually like changes your child's brain. It like prepares their palate for that food. It's like perfect storytelling, perfect like education. Like I just love that podcast. I love it. Yes. Um, and then the last thing I'm loving, you know, I don't know if I should share this. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So I feel, I feel kind of, um, I don't know. I feel a little embarrassed sharing this. I love having a signature color. Um, what does that even mean? Okay. So I heard again, I'm a podcaster, so I love podcasts. I heard on the happier happier podcast with Gretchen Rubin. She Uh was talking about like a life hack was to pick a signature color and you wear that color every day. And she was talking about like color theory and you know how some colors make us feel this way, you know, and so how to integrate those into our life but pick one color and wear that every day. And so for me, I love the color yellow. 
kind of looks great on me, not just because Beyonce wore it in Lemonade, but I just, Uh I love yellow. (laughs) And, but I've always... It does look good on dark skin though, I'll tell you that. It looks really good on dark skin. Uh But I was like, ah, that feels so... I don't know, cheesy to say, oh, this is my color because I have this, this memory of my little sister only wanting everything pink from like five to nine. And I used to be like, you are so immature. Just like do purple, like calm down. <laughs> right. Come on. Um, and so when I, when I told my kids, uh, I think I'm going to start wearing yellow every day. My son said, so what does that mean? You're going to go out and buy a bunch of yellow stuff. And I said, no, I think I'm just going to buy a few keep things that I love in yellow and have that. I love it. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I love having a signature color. So fun. Okay. What are you reading? Okay. I am reading. Okay. So I always reread one of my favorite books in September. So I'm re-listening to The Actor in the House Wife by Shannon Hale. Okay. And Shannon Hale is one of my favorite authors. She's, she does, she does uh, YA really well. Um, uh-huh. but it's always like a fantasy kind of way or like a storytelling. She does, she does like fairy tales, like she, a new spin on fairy tales, which I love. Um, I'm reading Chasing Slow by Erin Lochner. I just started that. Have you read Chasing Slow? I have, I have. It's great. Oh my gosh. Um, I think partly because I'm trying to be, you know, like I was saying before we started t- talking, I'm trying to like recalibrate because book writing took so much out of me. And so I've just been like, go, 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 which is funny because I was talking to a friend and she said, you're about to enter into like the, she's, she's published two books. And she said, you're about to enter like the hardest part of the book Mm. process and you're reading Chasing Slow. And I said, yes, because I need to stay centered. Like I, I need like Chasing Slow and Present Over Perfect, like sitting next to me every day while I work. Um, cause I just need to be reminded of what I love it. And then the last book that I I'm reading, um, is I like to keep a collection of, of like essays or short stories. I like, kind of like to read through that, um, all the time. So I always try to keep one book of like of that in my rotation and it's by Neil Gaiman. Do you know who, who Neil Gaiman? I don't. Okay. So do you know the movie Coraline? Yes. Okay. He's the, he wrote Coraline. He also wrote Stardust, which is one of my all time favorite. I say if a, it, it's like a fairy tale for adults, it's one of my all time favorite books, but he has a collection of, um, it's like all like speeches and essays that he wrote that didn't get published. Another, uh-huh. it's like a collection of like his work over the, cause he's had this huge career called a view from the cheap seats. Okay. And I really, I really love that. He has so because I'm I'm American and I'm I'm like, I'm Southern. So like mm-hmm. I have a certain when I read books, I'm always kind of drawn to care to authors that have a similar voice to me. But his voice is he's British and so it's, and he's male and so it's so outside of what I normally read or write. It's really, really good for me to read him. He's just a, he's an amazing wordsmith. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I need to step more out of my box. Um, I love that you're doing that as yeah. well. Yeah. So- love it, love it. The movie Coraline, that's the one with the girl with the button says eyes. Yes. And my, let me tell you this. So I tried to get my- I took my kids. Go ahead. <laughs> they were freaked out. Yes. This was a couple of years, when it, for a couple of years ago. Yes. And I try to get my kids to watch it with me I, I'm and, and around Halloween because it's kind of like a little bit of a scary uh-huh. story. My daughter is not having it. She is. Oh, she will not. one of my kids leaned over me during the show and said, Mom, I think this should be PG-13. Oh. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, baby. I mean, they were a lot younger then. And so it really we laugh about that as a family Poor all the time. Baby. Now, the movie, isn't it a Tim Burton movie? It is. And you know what? I'm not a big fan of Tim Burton. And so, like, to be honest, I don't think that I love Coraline because of the like the movie making quality of it. I just love this. Like, I love Neil Gaiman and I love this, like the story. And it's a very interesting kind of like look into like family dynamics and family structures and hopes and dreams. Like if you take it to that place, but like, mm. you know, little babies watching somebody get buttons sold on their eyes. I can see how they yeah. get esoteric about that. So yeah, I, I would like to watch it again without my children. Cause the whole time I was just thinking in my head, like I am scarring them for life. Oh, what have we done? Why are they showing this at a, it was like an Alamo draft house, which is a movie oh, no. here, but I think it was at one of their like summer kids movie series. And I was like, no, um, well, Ashita, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks this has been fabulous. Yeah. And I'll put all the links to everything we chatted about and your book will be up as well. People can find it anywhere books are sold. And I'll have a link on my webpage too in case that makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Go to jamieivy.com. You can find everything. Thanks, Ashita. Thanks, Jamie. Bye. Y'all, wasn't that fun with Oshita? Does anyone have the signature color? I've never heard of that before, but if you do, I want to hear about it. Oh, and the movie Coraline? Anyone else's kids scarred for life from this movie or just mine? 
You know, I always love conversations with other mamas about raising kids that look like mine. I'm excited for her book. And if you're looking for a new read, you can pre-order it now and get it right when it comes out. Let's also remember to love Jesus and never forget our sass. I love that. When Oshita opened up about her own journey with owning her blackness, gosh, I loved it. I didn't see that coming. And I was so thankful for her vulnerability with us all. Such real talk. I mentioned the show with Latoria that aired this summer, and I'm just going to say, without being too bossy, you need to go listen to it because it was just that good. It was episode number 154, and it aired in August. Go find it. All right, guys, before we finish, I have a favor to ask. Can you do something for me? If you're a longtime listener and you love the show, would you go leave a rating or a review over on iTunes? I'd really, really appreciate it. And believe it or not, these reviews are not just for my ego, but they actually help more people find the show. And we always want more people at the happy hour. Hey guys, today's show is edited by Chris with Podshaper and the music is from Jason Poe. If you're starting your podcast and you're looking for a great editor, go hit up my friend Chris over with Podshaper. He's doing a great job. Okay guys, here's who's coming up this week on the happy hour. Next week, my guest is Lisa Whittle. And don't worry, we just basically have church up on this podcast next week. You do not want to miss this. After her is Ellie Holcomb. And we met in a hotel room in Nashville. And let me just tell you, we had church again. Then Sharon Miller joins me and... Ladies, once again, we basically had church on the podcast. If you don't know it by now, here's the deal. I love strong women who love people and love Jesus. And let me tell you, the women that you're going to hear on here in the next few weeks, they bring that to the show. I'm talking bring it. You're not going to want to miss the next couple of weeks. Tell your girlfriends to be ready. Go subscribe if you haven't already. JamieIvy.com slash iTunes. Okay, friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend. And I will see you next week with my friend, Lisa Whittle.